Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 33 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 24th of January 2010, entitled The Truth About Satan, Part 3. And the Bible reading is taken from Isaiah, chapter 14, verses 12 to 17. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. The book of Isaiah, chapter 14, for our reading. Isaiah chapter 14, and we'll be reading verses 12 through 17. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. Beginning in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? Father, we thank you so much again today, Lord, for the wonderful privilege and opportunity that we have to be gathered together here in your house. We thank you, Lord, so much for each one that you've given health and strength to be able to be here Father, we thank you that as we gather here that we can have that confidence and assurance in our hearts of knowing that, Father, you're here with us, that you live and dwell within each and every one, that put their faith and trust in you. Father, we thank you for your word that we have that we've just read from and that's been preserved for us. Now, Father, we'll depend upon thy spirit that's been promised to us to make these words alive into our hearts, to speak that to us today which we stand most in need of, Father, you do know the hearts of each individual here. You know the lost that need to be saved, the backslider that needs to be restored, the Christian that needs to be built up and strengthened and encouraged and challenged afresh. Father, we just pray that you would meet the needs as only you can, and that for which you would receive all the glory and all the honor. For it's in Christ's name alone we pray. Amen and amen. If you notice sermon number 33 in our series on contending for the faith and part three of the truth about Satan. Of course, as we began to look at this, we looked at a number of things, but as we're looking at the fundamentals of the faith, we said that there are some truths about Satan that are fundamental to the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We looked at some things that showed us that it's a startling day that you and I live in when we look around not just maybe those that are non-Christian, those that would not truly be a part of this faith for which we are contending, but those that claim to be Christians, the number of them that do not consider this one we call Satan or the devil or Lucifer or the many different names is given to not consider him to be a real person, a real enemy. They see him as just some kind of a dark, evil force. 
And that's it. But as we began to look into God's Word, we've looked at a number of things. But we began with one of the first principles in looking at the fact that the Bible clearly declares that Satan is real, that he is a person that was created by God himself. But in his creation, he was created in perfection. As, of course, the only way God can create. And we looked at a number of scriptures in God's Word that showed us just what this one that we call Satan was like before that iniquity or sin entered into his heart. He was a real person, an angelic being. But just as in the Garden of Eden with man, sin entered in. Iniquity was found in his heart. And of course, that changed everything. And then we looked at this, this person, though created by God and created in perfection, that he was corrupt in his performance. Sin corrupted him. We looked at a number of things as the Bible tells us about his corrupt performance as being the most subtle, as one that has access to both God and man, as the great accuser of the brethren, as a great tempter, as the father of sinners and the originator of sin. And of course, as we looked at this, we could only conclude that if our faith means anything, if the Word of God means anything, if we believe that Jesus Christ is real, that He is a person, the only one within whom we may have our sins forgiven and salvation, our only access to God the Father, we must just as assuredly believe that Satan is real and he is a person. And as we look today, we want to find something else as we consider this one called Satan. That's not only his person, but we want to look today at his position. And looking at the person of Satan, his creation as a person created by God, we saw where that he was perfect both in his appearance and in his actions. Perfect in beauty, the Bible said, and perfect in his ways. As we see this corruptness that comes from him in all of his performances, once sin had entered in, we've got to ask ourselves some more questions. We say, well, maybe what about now? We've looked at these things historically of what the Bible has told us about him as a person, but what about now? Is he still a real person, even though that he's no longer an angel, even though he has become corrupt in his ways, what position is he in right now? Well, first of all, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, 
the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And notice he says in verse 1 and 2, and you, speaking to the believer, writing to the Christians in the church here, and you hath he quickened. You has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Notice he says, wherein in time past, ye, the Christian, the one that's been made you, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. First of all, I can tell you that right now, this real person called Satan, that the Bible tells us that right now he is the prince of the power of the air. Now this entire chapter, which we could very easily just stop right there and go no further today because this entire chapter is tremendous in showing us the great contrast between man in his lost condition without the Lord Jesus Christ and the new man that has been saved by God's glorious grace. On the one hand, we've got the lost man in this chapter that is spiritually dead, that is walking according to, he says here, the course of this world. This world with all of its corrupted values and standards and according to the prince of the power of the air of course, is none other than Satan himself. Yet, this position that Satan holds, it is a position of great power, there's no doubt. But we must remember as everything else about him, though a great power, a corrupt power. As a matter of fact, it's a power of such strength that there's no human being ever has been, is now, or ever will be that can stand up to this strength as an individual in his own strength. We find that the lost individual is under the power of the prince of the power of the air, literally captivated and, and imprisoned by this one, dead, the Bible says, in his trespasses and sins. And the sad thing is, even though not realizing it, Brother Steve, in desperate need to be set free from this one, the good news is that there's a stronger prince, praise God. <laughs> one who holds the power of the universe in his hands. Matter of fact, the one that created this one in the first place, one that can set you free, even though this power be great that is spoken of here of this one, captivating and imprisoning that desperate need that man, whether he sees it or not, that he needs to be set free. It's the Prince of Peace that will set him free, praise God. We find that 
Jesus Christ will not only set you free, but the Bible says he'll give you life for all of eternity, immortality. And you know what? The Bible also says he will always be there. Brother Roy, he's always our strength. He will always be there to overcome this one that is the prince of the power of the air. But the Bible gives us a further description of his position. Yes, that is a position the Bible says that he holds right now. But the Bible also tells us that he's not only the prince of the power of the air, but that he is the prince of this world. This world you and I live in. As a matter of fact, the Apostle John records the words of our Lord Jesus Christ himself three times in the Gospel of John in referring to Satan as the prince of this world. The prince of this world, literally, folks, the ruler of this world. Look with me, first of all, in the Gospel of John chapter 12. Notice he says in John chapter 12, verses 31 and 32, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. You see, Satan is the prince of this world, this corrupt, sin-cursed world that you and I live in. And he may have appeared to the world and to many to have gotten the victory over Jesus at Calvary when he was nailed to that cross. But the truth is, in reality, that that was what marked his defeat. Praise the Lord. And that's exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said, if I be lifted up from the earth, speaking of being nailed to that cross as he was lifted there, he says, draw all men unto me. So Jesus himself here speaks of this one as being the prince of this world. Notice just a, a couple pages over in your Bible to John chapter 14. Notice what he says in verse 30 of John chapter 14. Jesus said, Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh, and he hath nothing in me. Here again, Satan is referred to by Jesus himself as the prince of of this world. Now these words are being spoken to his apostles by our Lord Jesus Christ on his way from the upper room where he has had the, the last supper with them there and on his way to the garden of Gethsemane where he will be betrayed and arrested. Judas would be the tool that Satan would use. The fact was that Jesus said here, Satan had nothing in him. Literally, he had nothing on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He could not possibly. Remember, Jesus is trying to prepare his apostles for his death on the cross. But the fact was that Satan couldn't possibly hold Christ in death. Why? Because Jesus said the prince of this world had nothing in him, had nothing on him. He literally had no claim on him. He literally had no charge to be brought against him. Why? Because there was no sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. Death only exists where sin exists. Death is a result of sin, both physical death and spiritual death. Jesus was in fact here doing the Father's will. And in doing that, he was defeating Satan. Satan didn't have anything on him. In fact, Satan was going to be defeated. The prince of this world was going to be defeated when Jesus hung up on that cross and rose the third day, assuring you and I a victory, assuring all of those that would put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in his completed work, assuring them of victory over the prince of this world. You see, the prince of this world had nothing on Jesus, but what does he have on you? Can you say that there is no sin? Because that's when Satan gets something on you. And Jesus was the only one that could ever make that statement. It's only in him today. You can't have that victory in yourself. That's why in his great power as the prince of the power of the air, you can't defeat him in yourself because sin is present in each and every one of us. And he's got something on us. Brother Lenny doesn't have a thing on Jesus, praise the Lord. The prince of this air, the prince of this world. Notice again just a couple pages over in John chapter 16. Notice what he says beginning in verse 7. Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Listen, Jesus' words here still on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane as he's instructing his apostles in the importance of what he's about to do the importance of his return to the Father. And in so doing, the Holy Spirit being sent back to those apostles and to you and I today, it was necessary for the Spirit to come. Why? When he tells us so that he might bring conviction to the hearts of men, that he might reprove the world. Remember, Satan is the prince of this world. 
but the Holy Spirit is here to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. It's in that context of reproving the world of judgment that he speaks here of Satan as the prince of this world and the Holy Spirit being able to bring that approval because of Satan already being judged. The world under the rule of the prince of this world. Folks, it cannot possibly bring righteous judgment. Its judgments are all corrupt. Its judgments are all perverted, just like him. The Holy Spirit alone has the power to convict men of their false judgment about anything, but particularly their judgment about the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is. It is the Spirit that can lead men to true judgment, to true judgment about themselves and about the Lord, totally contrary to the prince of this world. So we find that, oh, Satan is real. He's a person. In his position, the Bible teaches us very clearly that he is the prince of the power of the air, that he is the prince of this world. But I don't want to give you one other position that he is in, and that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, as the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, he says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now, we'll come back to this verse with a bit more detail later, but for the moment as we're considering Satan's position here, I want you to note that it is Satan that is referred to not only as the prince of the power of the air, not only as the prince of this world, but here he's referred to as the God of this world. The world speaks of the whole world system, this age that you and I live in. He is not the God, capital G. He is not the God of the universe and all that is. But he is a God with a small g. And particularly, he is the God, small g, of this world, of this age that you and I live in, and all of its sinful ideals and its values that permeate everything around us, the way that it does things, the way that it thinks, this age, this world, its influence on everything around us, including, sadly, all too often, even upon the Christians and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through its philosophies and its 
sinful ideas that it bombards us with and attempts to even train and teach our children by those same ideals and its educational systems and all that's there all around us in this world, in this age, was God himself. He was the one that said, thou shalt have no other gods, little g. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, he said. People, unfortunately, can set many things up as gods in their lives. But Satan himself is the God of this world, this world system, the days that you and I live in. It's clear to see that Satan's position has changed drastically from where he was as a perfect creation of God. Since the entering of sin and him being corrupted in his ways, and you know it should serve to teach us it should teach us a bit more about why our holy and righteous God hates sin so very much and why that sin must be dealt with and why that sin must be destroyed once and for all if God's creation is to ever be what he wants it to be. And it will at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, men have to deal with sin every day. But once and for all, it will be dealt with and put away forever. Satan, a real person that is present in his position as the prince of the power of the air, as the prince of this world and the God of this world, we need to realize that and understand who he is and what he's doing, the influence that he has on the world around us. We shouldn't expect the world to be any different than what it is. When we recognize who its ruler is, who its God is, we find that if he is filling those positions, then I want us to Get one other thing this morning. What exactly is his purpose? What is his purpose? We've looked at his person. We've looked at his position. Well, he has many purposes. Many things that he purposes in his own heart to do. And we'll look at just a few of them. But I want to break it down into two areas for you. You know that the main purpose of Satan today to defeat God and to destroy man. That's what he purposes in his heart. He wants to defeat God and he wants to destroy every human being that is. Take you back to our reading in the book of Isaiah chapter 14. This is where we first began this sermon not just today, but back when we first began to look at the truth about Satan. 
Two of the verses we looked at there was in verses 13 and 14. He says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the star of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Listen, I will be like the most high. You see, in his own eyes, Satan, his first corrupt purpose was one of personal pride to be like God. That's what he wanted. And of course, it was that very thought that rather than raising him up and exalting him as he saw in his eyes, that was the reason for his fall from heaven. These verses were in answer to the question that was asked in verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? Why? Because, for thou hast said in thine heart. You see, he doesn't learn easily. <laughs> That was the reason that he was brought down. That was the reason for his fall in the first place from heaven. We see that the exact same idea and purpose manifests itself very clearly as we look into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And of course, here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we stated before this, these verses speaking of that one that we know as the Antichrist. Satan incarnate in the flesh. He says in verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Even after he attempted and tried it in heaven itself. And after God showed him and after his fall of being kicked out of heaven for that reason. The Bible says he's going to do the same thing again as he sits upon this earth. As he comes in the person of the Antichrist, he's going to sit there and again he himself is not only going to be like God, but now he's going to claim to be God himself. Satan. His purpose in defeating God. And of course he desires his, he continues day by day in his desires and his attempts to defeat God. You know what? Most of his work right now takes place in the hearts and the minds of man. And we know from previous studies, we know that even after, even after 
He sits upon that throne and claims to be God as the Antichrist. We know that he'll be defeated again at the Battle of Armageddon. We know that after being put into the pit and bound for a thousand years, that he'll raise his head again and still try to come against God at the end of the millennial reign, at the Battle of Gog and Magog, and then he will be put and cast into that place, the lake of fire, for all of eternity. We find that he is defeated, but his purposes are still the same. Even though he is the one that is defeated, his purpose is to defeat God. And of course, as we said, not only in defeating God, but in destroying man. We find a very familiar passage that we read a lot of times, but I'm not so sure that we heed it as much as we read it. First Peter chapter 5 In verse 8, we're given some very, very clear instructions. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says, you better be alert. You better be sober thinking about this and recognize you've got an enemy and he's out there walking around like that roaring lion all the time just looking for a way to get you, to devour you. Of course, in the Gospel of John chapter 10, though it does not call him Satan here, I think it can leave no doubt as to who Jesus is speaking of as he gives this illustration when he says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. How does Satan go about accomplishing his purpose to destroy man? There are so many things in Scripture that show us, we're just going to look at a few of them. Things that there's no doubt in Satan's purpose for your destruction and the destruction of all mankind. He'll attempt that purpose, first of all, certainly through temptation. We know with certainty from God's Word that God does not, and matter of fact, cannot tempt man to sin. However, he was one of the very first tricks of sin, one of the very first tricks that he pulled on mankind when he spoke with Eve in the garden back in Genesis chapter 3. Notice in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, and the serpent said unto the woman, remember, this is Satan. This is Satan. He took on the form of the most beautiful beast that he could when he came to Eve. And he said, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. For God doth know 
that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You see, he, he tempted Eve in the first instance to doubt God's word. Ye shall not surely die, even though God had told her that, yes, you will die if you eat of that particular tree. Ye won't surely die. But then he tempted her disobedience. He went to work on her pride and appealed to her pride, just like his own, to be like God. That's what he promised her. You'll be like God. If you'll just forget what God said, disobey that and do this, you can be a God yourself. He tried to pull the same trick on Jesus Christ himself. When he appealed to him and he tempted him. Folks, in trying to destroy you, there is no doubt that this one called Satan will tempt you to sin in many ways. And he may do it through pride sometimes. And he'll certainly do it through trying to get you to doubt God's word, to doubt God's promise to you. He'll try to tempt you to disobey God's word. Oh, this little thing doesn't matter and that little thing doesn't matter. You'll actually be better off for it. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy you personally. And he'll do it. He'll attempt it. First of all, through temptation. Secondly, undoubtedly, He'll try to attempt this through deception. And of course, we've already seen that he's the great deceiver. And he'll purpose to deceive you any way that he can. And you know, one of his favorite works of deception is religious deception. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Notice what he says, verses 1 through 3. He says, Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience scarred with a hot iron, forbidding Mary and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. He says, in the last times, in the last days, there's going to be all of this deception about trying to seduce you into doing those things which are not God's word at all. Turn back just a little ways to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And notice what he says in verses 13 to 15. 
For such are false apostles, notice this, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to the works. May I say to you today that it's Satan's purpose to defeat God and it's Satan's purpose to destroy man. And he wants to destroy the very truths of the only possible thing that can ever give that man life. The Bible says that Satan himself has transformed himself as an angel of light. And so why in the world should it surprise us if he puts men in the pulpit proclaiming to teach and preach the truths of God and yet all along is deceptiveness. It's that which will take them away. Just because something wears the religious garbs, it doesn't mean that it's truly from God. And yes, many, many people, sadly, we don't boast in this. Sadly, many people are deceived today, even though they're genuine in their heart, even though they're sincere as they can be, even though to, to some degree they have a, a love for God and they think that they're doing something that's right. The Apostle Paul, when he was going around persecuting the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was casting those Christians into prison, he thought he was doing God a favor. Folks, that didn't make it any better. Just because that he was religiously deceived at the time. Satan is the great deceiver. And one of the ways that he'll use to destroy you is to put deceptiveness right in the pulpit from those that claim to be spokesmen of God. Well, preacher, how in the world can we ever know the difference? We don't ever let me nor any other man, nor any other human being that speaks with their mouth tell you anything other than what you can find and prove and support by the Word of God. We try to weasel around it. We try to take a verse here or there, some of those things in the, in the flesh. But yet, this is the truth on which everything must be weighed. There will be no excuse when you stand before God and say, wow, he sure had me tricked. <laughs> I thought he was the real thing. There's no excuse. You've got God's word. You should be able. This is part of what we're talking about. This is part of what contending for the faith is all about. We must contend for the truth as it was once for all delivered to the saints. We can't change God's word. We can't take what we like. We can't make it fit our lifestyles. We take him for his word, not the words of man, not the words that have been added nor taken away. What God clearly says himself. May I refer you back to the letter of the Thessalonians again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Notice what it says in verses 8 through 12, 
And then shall that wicked be revealed. And the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Of course, the Bible here is pointing to that accounting day. And at this point, he's in the seven years of tribulation. We have this one called the, the Antichrist is sitting on the throne here again. And he is there. And he's good. <laughs> and he's performing all kinds of miracles and doing all kinds of things that are beyond human possibilities. And many will be deceived. Many will be deceived. But there's a part of that that I would heed and encourage you today to pay extremely close attention to. The Bible said that, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them, they perished because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. These are people, Brother Lynn, that have heard the truth, but have not been willing to receive the truth. They know the truth, but yet Satan has somehow worked in deceiving them. The Bible says, and for this cause. For what cause? The fact that they did not receive the truth in order to be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they shall believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, folks, I know that everybody out there would not agree with me as they don't on many things when it comes to theological things, I guess, and I'm certainly no theologian. But I'll tell you, in my simple mind, I don't know any other way to read that than the fact that if you've heard the truth and you've rejected that truth and you've not received that truth, and that when this one, the Antichrist, is sitting there, that you're going to believe his lie, that you're going to be totally, completely deceived. Why? Because you didn't accept the truth when you had opportunity. That's not God's fault. If you reject the truth today and leave this place without receiving it, how dare you blame God when one day Satan will have won. He will have destroyed you through deception. Satan wants to destroy you. And he'll do it through temptation, through deception. I want to give you a couple of things in closing. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We need to realize our enemy, not fear him. Know and understand that we might fight him. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Notice what it says in verses 3 through 6. We read verse 4 earlier where that Satan was called the God of this world. He said, but if our gospel be hid, 
It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. He can't blind the minds of a believer because the Holy Spirit comes in. Without the Holy Spirit, you have nothing to fight him with. You're in your own strength. And he's more powerful. You've got to believe the truth. He says here, the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. <laughs> he knows. He knows what will change your life. He knows that light that will make a difference in your life. Paul said, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and our servants, ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. That's the motto verse that we put. It's out on our signs, on our uh, bulletins. It's on our stationery. But we preach not ourselves around here. It's not us that can make a difference. We preach Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're just servants for his sake. He says, For God who commanded the light shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Simply, Satan's purpose to destroy you would love. If you're here and you're lost today and you've never, folks, you don't get saved by accident. You don't get saved because you start going to church. You don't get saved because you become religious. You get saved when you humble yourself as a sinner before a holy God and cry out for mercy, for forgiveness of your sins. And you recognize and ask for that forgiveness not based upon any discerning on your part or anything that you can do for him that would deserve it, but because of what Jesus Christ has already accomplished you, trusting and believing that what he did when he died, when he shed his blood, when he conquered death for you, that he did everything that was necessary and that the only reason that God in heaven will forgive you of your sins today is because of Jesus Christ, because he paid the price for you. That doesn't happen by accident. You don't get made into a new creation by accident. People sit their whole lives on church pews and they think that they're okay because they've been religious, because they've been faithful, because they've been good people. But they've never swallowed their pride enough to get down on their knees before God and say, yes, I'm a sinner. Please, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Folks, if you don't ask for it and trust in Jesus Christ, it doesn't happen. Yes, what happened to Calvary was sufficient. And yes, there's no doubt that God wants you to be saved. That's why Jesus did everything that he did. But these didn't receive it. It doesn't matter what God's done and what God's offering if you're not willing yourself personally to receive it, to believe it. Satan Yes, he destroys man by blinding his mind, by trying to get you not to see the light of what Jesus Christ really is, trying to get you to think you're okay just like you are, trying to get you to think you're okay till another day and another time, and you'll sort it out at some other point in your life. He's going to want to destroy you. You're not promised another chance. You're given the opportunity of today. Satan purpose 
is to defeat God, to destroy man. And he'll attempt through temptation, through deception, through blinding. And of course, he'll do it through stealing. The Gospel of Luke chapter 8. He gives us an account here. Our time is gone this morning, so we're not going to take the time to, to read all of it. But if you come along, you'll find that it's a parable of the sower and the seed that's being sown and the purpose of that seed. And, of course, we find that one of the things that happens here is that some of that seed that is sown is actually stolen. Even though that the seed in itself was everything that it needed to be. We find that there's that one that comes along and he'll steal that seed right away. Verse 12 says, Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Do you realize how important it is that Satan's purpose your destruction, that he'll come along even attempt maybe this morning, that is the truth has been given to you and what you need to do to be saved, that he'll come and steal that seed away. He'll take it away. Do you realize how much he wants to destroy you? Do you realize how great his purpose is in doing that? So many other things that we could look at, but for our purposes here today, we can surely see Satan's purpose is to defeat God and to destroy man. As for defeating God, we've seen and we'll see further as we continue through this sermon on Satan, he's already defeated. Satan is defeated. He's got no chance there. But as for destroying man, folks, the case is still open here this morning. There's only two sides to this. We're not talking about merely forces of good versus forces of evil. As we've already said, we're not talking about the intentions of the heart. We're talking about receiving the truth, believing the truth. 